Have you ever seen John Krasinski's Some Good News? You ever seen John Some Good News? Well, a lot of you guys are missing out. You know, John Krasinski is the guy, he was Jim in the office back in the day, and now he's, and then, now he's taken, taken a total jump, and now he's Jack Ryan. I mean, can you imagine two different characters at all? And then he also was in the movie The Quiet Place, which is kind of really different than The Office as well. And so he started this thing called Some Good News, SGN, Some Good News. And he started during the middle of the pandemic because he felt like there needed to be something that's encouraging to listen to, to watch, to be a part of in the middle of like, you know, your daily death toll, all the things you can't do anymore, stay at home, stay isolated. I'm just melting underneath that. He thought, we need to do something that's good news. And so he just did it in his house, you know, and then it became really popular and CBS bought it and it'll probably stink. I don't know. All right. And so today is a some good news sermon. All right. Open up your Bibles to Psalms 8. Open up your Bibles to Psalm 8. And that's where we're going to be this morning. And I'm going to go ahead and start reading as you find your place there. All right. Oh, Lord, our Lord, you're, and when I read this, you're going to start singing the song, especially if you're an older person because you know the old chorus, you know, back in the day. Oh, Lord, oh, Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You know, all the young people are like going, that's terrible. That was cool to us in our day, all right? Oh, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is thy name in all the earth. Who has, who has displayed thy splendor above the heavens from the mouth of infants and nursing babes? Thou hast established strength because of thine adversaries, to make the enemy and the ven revengeful cease. When I consider the heavens, the work of thy fingers, the moon and the stars which thou hast ordained, what is man that, you've made, that you have taken thought of him? And the son of man, that you care for him, you have, for yet thou hast made him a little lower than God, and did crown him with glory and majesty, and you did make him to rule over the works of the hands, and you put all things under his feet, all sheep and ox, all the beasts of the field, all the birds of the heaven, all the fish of the sea, whatever passes through the paths of the sea, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is thy name in all the earth. Now, We've talked a lot about <clears throat> studying in our Bibles, and we know that when something begins with the theme and closes with the theme, that's the theme. Everything else between somehow fits in, but what it begins with and closes with is what he's talking about. And it's interesting, though, the entire passage talks about man and God's creation, isn't it? So you look at it, and it says, first of all, he goes, look at everything you've made. It's crazy. It's amazing. And he goes on and he says, and when I consider all that, then you put us in the picture, God. That's crazy as well. And then he says, and then you put us right below the angels. You put us, um, and then you put us above all of the creation. And then you note, he says, all those animals, all those flying things, all those swimming things, you put us over all of that. And then he says, you're majestic. Now that's interesting, isn't it? Let's explore that thought and see what he has to say about that, all right? So, consider what he says early on part of this. He says, in all of God's creation, the stars, the moons, um, everything like that, he has created and placed them in the skies, he says. When I consider all of that. Now, David, when he wrote this, really only had the vantage point of what his eye could see. And also, I would give him credit, I mean, I believe also that God illuminated his mind as well. But he had the ability to just see what was above him. And even in that, in that dark Jerusalem sky or in that dark 
sky on the side of the mountain or whatever, when he was keeping sheep, he looked and he said, this is truly amazing that you did all this. And now fast forward to 2016, and those who know these things and those who monitor these things have said that there are probably, let me see, they said that the number of stars is 10 to the 24th power. I do not know what that means. It's 10 with 24 zeros. I looked that up. It's a million, 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 million. Or it's a trillion, trillion. Or then it's also this thing called a heptillion. In other words, it's more than we can count. And then catch this. He calls them all by name. That's exactly what Psalm 147.4 says. He counts the stars and calls them all by name. The scientists are trying to figure out how many stars there are in the sky. But the creator of the universe knows how many they are. And not only that, it says that he knows them by name. That is a pretty amazing thing. He knows every one of them by name. He's placed them where they're supposed to be, and they stay there until he releases them. I don't know if he releases them. I'm not sure about all that kind of stuff. But like he places them, and they stay there until he says otherwise. And with that in mind, what is mankind that you would even think of him, is what David is saying. He says, when I look at all that, and that is truly amazing, and he didn't even know a fraction of how amazing it was, he goes, it's crazy that if you're going to do all that up there, that you would even pay attention to us. That you would even pay attention to us. And he goes, but it's not even that, that you gave us station, position in creation. He goes, you put us just below the angels in power, but you put us above them as an image bearer of yourself. And so consider them. He goes, and not only that, you have given us glory and majesty. Glory and majesty. He has given to us what he has not given to anything else in creation. Nothing else in creation bears his image but man. But man. He has given us all of that among all of this creation, and he loves us with a mighty love that is hard to fathom. Why would he make us the steward of creation? Think about this. That's what he says in verse 6. He goes, and you have made him to rule over all the works of your hands. You put all things under his feet. Why would he do that? We are the clay. You know, you think about this. You know what clay is. You think about this. Clay and a potter. We are the clay. The clay is on the wheel. The potter is shaping it. And we are the clay that stops the potter and says, what are you making? We are the clay that says, stop that wheel. Why are you doing that? Haven't you ever thought that if you did it this way, it'd be better? We are that clay. And he put us in charge of his creation. What was he thinking? And yet that's exactly what he did. We willfully stray from the Father. And yet, here we are. 
I want us to think also, I'm not going to have you turn over there because there's, I'm more of summarizing it, but in the book, in the, in the latter part of the Old Testament, in the Minor Prophets, there's a book there called Hosea. And Hosea is a living object lesson. You know, like here, you know, Betty says, you know, you take a map, you know. Uh, well, guys are living object lessons because we refuse to look at the map, so we are a perfect illustration of what Christians are like. I'm not going to read my Bible because I can figure out this better. You know, that's what guys are when it comes to maps. I will not ask for directions. I can do this, you know. And then last week, you know, if Betty was going to do a living object lesson, we would have all eaten that kale stuff with apple. Why would you do that to apples? Why do we do that to babies? That right there should be explored. Why do we feed our children these things? That's why we have problems in society. That's it right there. Kale with apple. That's crazy. So God says to Hosea, this is what I want you to do. I'm doing this so that people will see what I'm like and what you're like. So he says to Hosea, he says, he instructs him. He says, go and take a woman who is a prostitute and marry her. He's not talking about a reformed prostitute, a lady who used to be something is now something. He goes, no, you go take a lady who is that, who is still on active duty. And so he marries this woman named Gomer, which is unflattering if ever there was a name that's unflattering for a woman, Gomer. And she cheats on him. She bears children from him, and she cheats on him. And apparently somewhere in chapter 2, you know, she leaves him, and she's gone. And in chapter, and what that means in a Jewish custom, if she had cheated on him, and then as well as left, it was that man's right to divorce her. No one would ask any question. No one would say you're doing the wrong thing. No one would say if you give it another chance. No one would say you're going to be in charge of church discipline. Nothing like that would happen. Nothing. Because she had done wrong. And so he had a right to. And so, but God didn't say that. God didn't say, all right, go and divorce her. God says, no, that woman that you married, she's in town right now. And because of her dealings with other people, men in particular, she now has debts. We don't know what those debts are. We don't know exactly where, how much they are. We don't know how she incurred them. But for him to bring her home, he had to go buy her back. Now think about that. She was already his wife, and he had to go buy her back. And so chapter 3 tells her that he goes back into the marketplace, and he finds his wife, and he pays the debts that he doesn't owe, debts that she incurred on herself in her sin, and he pays those debts to bring her home. The object lesson is that that is the way that God is with us. Matter of fact, in chapter 6, verse 4 of this book in Hosea, he says, your love is like the morning dew. Do you get that? It never lasts. It comes, it goes. Every day, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wet the grass. I'm going to water the fields with my dew. Eh, I'll only stick around for a while. I've got other things to do. He goes, that's the way you are. You're faithful for a while until it gets difficult, hot maybe, and then you flitter. And he goes, but I still love you. You know, he could divorce us. 
He could say, these people, they are so unruly. They are so unfaithful. They never do what they say they're going to do. We make laws. We make covenants. You say you're going to do it. I say I'll be faithful. You're unfaithful. And here I am. And he could divorce us, if you think about it. But does he? No. No. He is Hosea. And he goes out and finds us wherever we are. And he redeems us. He pays for us. He brings us back into the family. So, what has he done? He has created all of creation, magnificent and amazing. And he has placed us in the center of it as the curators of it, as those that he's supposed to depend upon for taking care of it. And we wander off all the time. We betray him all the time. And so Hosea teaches us that he is Hosea. He redeems us. He doesn't ever divorces us. He goes after us again and again and again. In chapter 11, verse 8, it even says, How can I give up on them? How can I turn away? That is how God is. And this type of love we're talking about, there is a, a, um, a Hebrew term, and it's chesed. And, and, it's, and what it means is this. It means it's hesed, H-E-S-E-D. Maybe many of you probably maybe are familiar with it. But what it means, it is his faithful love. It's used around many other terms. It's called love and faithfulness. It's called unfailing love. It's called faithful love, steadfast love, loyal love. Lots of different phrases are used to communicate the concept of hesed. It's used about 250 times in Scripture. And in Exodus 34, 6, it says this, The Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, abounding in hesed and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. Hesed love communicates loyalty and faithfulness in a relationship. He makes a covenant with his people to hesed them, and he will always, always keep it. So the way that God loves you and I is in an everlasting, unfailing, steadfast, loyal manner, even when we are unfaithful to him. That is the nature of hesed love. It means that there is a covenant made that is unbreakable. So he has made a covenant to love you and I that he will not break, even if we break the covenant ourselves. So the point of the lesson of Hosea is that Hosea was demonstrating a hesed love for Gomer. And we are Gomer, the cheating wife. And God loves us with an everlasting love that he will never cancel. In Isaiah 54, 8, it says, In an outburst of anger, I hid my face from you for a moment, but with an everlasting loving kindness, with hesed I will have compassion on you, says the Lord your Redeemer. Lamentation 3.22, a passage many people know. The Lord's has said, indeed, never ceases. The Lord's loving kindness never ceases, for his compassions never fail. We've talked a lot the past two weeks about loving those who are different, loving those who disagree, even loving those who hate us. And God never calls us to go where he has never gone himself. He never calls us to do something he has never done himself. And so Romans 5.8, 
Some of you right now, as soon as I give that address, y'all are reciting that in your head. I know you are, Scott Brubaker. I know that's what you're doing right now. And what you're saying is this, but God demonstrates his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still sinners, while we were still separated from him, Christ died for us. He didn't die for those who liked him. He didn't die for those who voted like he did. He didn't die for those who look like him or agree with him. He didn't die for only those who were Jewish. He didn't die for those with the same skin tone. No, he died for people who were not even looking for him, were not wanting to be like him or live a life like him or to obey him. He didn't go out and say, well, you know what? I'm going to look around here. You know what? That Becky Heavner, I think that she would be a great person for me to die for. I think she'd really obey the rules. She'd be easy. I'd like to have her in my family. No, no, not at all. Not at all. He chose peruse, and he goes, look, I know what I'm getting into, but I love him. Love you, brother. I love him. And actually, that's what we're all like. Not just peruse, not just myself. That's what we're all like. He died for those who were far away. Isaiah 53, 6 says it like this. All of us were like sheep who had wandered off. He had gone, we had gone our own way, but the Lord gave him, Jesus, the punishment we deserve. God loves us with an unfailing, unfaltering, never-ending love. He's not loving you for who you were or who you're going to become. He is loving you with all your makeup off and with all your life just like it is. When you're all alone and you're thinking those things you'd never say in public, he's loving you right there and then. And if you believed in Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, he will never forsake you. He loves you with an everlasting love. Now, a long time ago here at Crossing, we watched um, Andy Stanley and Louis Giglio and their, their series called Canvas. I think it was a three or four part video series. And in that video series, they talk about a king, a king who has all the wealth and all the resources that anyone would need, but they belong to the king. All those resources do. And that king one day decides, you know what? I have a lot of subjects. I have a lot of people that belong to me, so to speak. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to take some of my resources, I'm going to take some of my wealth, and I'm just going to begin to distribute it to those out there, those that live in my kingdom. Now, when he does that to the onlooker, they're like going, those people are so lucky. That king is so generous. But see, you know what? We as Christians so often think, you know what? It makes perfect sense that he would die for me. I'm a pretty good guy. At least that's the way we act a lot of the time. Because, you see, if we were really understanding who we are and how bad we are and how undeserving I am of his great love and compassion of his hesed, if I really understood that I am Gomer and the Lord Jesus is Hosea, if I understood that, 
I probably would find it much more difficult to treat others the way I do. Because I would feel like I didn't deserve to be bought back. I didn't deserve to have all my debts paid after what I'd done. It's amazing that he did that for me. And when I realized that, and that weightiness of the sacrifice and who I am, who God is and who I am, when that begins to sink in, what happens is we begin to say, I can't treat anyone that way because I am that person. I am wretched, but Jesus saved me. I am wretched, but Jesus shed his blood for me. I am wretched. I am unfaithful. I am a cheater, a liar. But Jesus still loves me. And when that truth begins to sink in, and when that truth begins to to become the truth we live in, it becomes more difficult for me to say, you know what? I don't like it that you vote the way you do. And I don't like it that you like that group or this group or that group. We, we have no room to be like that when we understand who we truly are and who he truly is. If he loves me and you that much, then it would be wrong for us to treat others differently than the way he loves us. Do you, do you get that? That was kind of like a, just, a thought that just came in my head. I don't know if I said it right. But you get it? It's kind of like, if he loves me this much and he died for me, then that means that the person that I disagree with, that means that the person that I hate, God loves that much as well. So how can I not treat that person with the same love that I've been given? No matter what they say about me, no matter how they vote, no matter what they march in, no matter what buildings they burn down, I still am called to love them because he loves them. And he doesn't give us the opportunity to opt out. He doesn't give us the opportunity to opt out. This morning, if you're here and you've never really understood that Jesus loves you that way, then this morning, I want you to understand that. I want you to understand that. Because he wants you to understand that. And so if you're here this morning as a guest, or if you're here even as a regular person, you're here for a purpose and for a reason. Because the Holy Spirit is speaking to you right now, right where you sit, and right in the circumstance that you are sitting in. That is the way that his Holy Spirit works. That is the magnificence of God, is that he will be over here working in Lee's life right now through the words we're saying, through the verses we're saying, unique to Lee, while he's doing the same thing for Ellen over here, two totally different people, two totally different experiences, two totally different opinions. Maybe they vote different, I don't know. But he's still speaking to you right now. If you're here today, he's talking to you. And if you're here today and you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, let me tell you what he's saying. This is what he's saying. I died for you. You are separated from me and I long to fix that problem. 
This is what he's saying to you. He's saying, you are working so hard to fix your sin problem, to, to try and fix those bad feelings you have about yourself. You're working so hard to do that. You don't have to work hard. Jesus did all the work when he died on the cross and he bled his blood to pay for your sins. Jesus did all that work. This is all you have to do is believe he did it. That's all the work there is. To believe he did it. If you're here today and you never understood that message, that's why you're here today. To hear that message and to believe it today. To fix that to, to take away all of that hard work, to take all that shame that you have, to take all that guilt about what you've ever done. He says, I can take that and I can wash that away and I can give you a new heart and me and you can begin a relationship like you've never had before. If you're here today and you've never had that conversation with God, it is so incredibly easy that you'll have a hard time believing that it's true. But it is. Because all you need to do is in the privacy of your own heart is just say, God, I want what he's talking about. I don't completely understand it. I'm not really sure about what we're... I just know that what he's talking about, I need, I want for myself. That's all you have to do. So sitting there right now in the shade of God's creation, he's calling you to make that decision. He's calling you to believe differently than you've ever believed before. Because many people have believed that they have to work to take care of their sins. They have to work to please God. He's saying you don't have to. Jesus worked and he pleases me. I love you because of what Jesus has done. And if you believe that and you make that choice today, you have entered into a chesed love and he will never ever forsake you, walk away from you. He, God, the covenant-making God has made a covenant that he will love you no matter what. I'm gonna give you just a moment, really, just a really brief moment to think about that. And then Christians, if you're here today, I'm asking you right now to pause when I pause, I'm asking you to pause and pray that God would open the mind and the heart of anyone who's here today who's never trusted Christ. So if you've never trusted Christ, I'm asking you today to do that. Believe differently. If you've trusted Christ, I'm asking you to pray for those folks who are among us today who have not done so yet. Here we go. Let's pause right now. Lord Jesus, you call us to be workers in the field, and you say you are the Lord of the harvest. So today, we have gone into the field. We have worked. We have spoken of you. We've preached about you. We've reveled in you. We've glorified you. We appreciate you. And we have told all of us, we've reminded all of us here about the goodness of Jesus and the great price he paid for all of us. So we have done the work in the field, and now we pause to allow you, the harvester, to be speaking to the minds and the hearts of people who are not yet in a relationship with you and to draw them to yourself. We pray, Father, that, that if there's anyone here today who's wrestling with that decision, that they would just give up and believe and to step into that relationship with you. And it's in your name we pray, amen. If you're here today and you 
perhaps just talk to the Lord for the very first time in that way, I would appreciate it if you just let me know. I'm not going to chase you down. You don't have to start giving financially next week. We'll wait to two weeks from now for that. But anyway, um, you don't have to do anything. I just want to know so I can be praying for you. And again, if you're here and you don't own a Bible, the very best thing you can do is to take one of those free Bibles back there and begin to read the book of John. Just read that and then ask questions. God is faithful to answer those questions, all right?